Hi there. I'm Jen Hale Christie, and you're listening to Preach Her. This podcast is designed around the reality that many of our churches are shrinking because we haven't created a place where everyone can belong. So if you're seeing that reality in your own church, or you've experienced that and left the church, this podcast is for you. Welcome. You're listening to Season 1, Episode 5, and our title today is Three Rebukes. Last week, life got a little too full and I wasn't able to record Episode 5. I wasn't sure if anyone knew that I was aiming to post every Wednesday, so I didn't know if anyone would actually notice. One of my faithful listeners sent me this kind note. The subject line was, quote, a drought since June 5. And the email read, just so you know that I have noticed, no new podcast from you since June 5. I don't want you to forget how or anything. Totally cracked me up. I love hearing that this stuff that God is stirring in me is meaningful to others as well. That's what preaching is all about. So thank you, Mark, for your gentle nudge. If not for you, we might have just missed another week because this is the first week of summer for the kids, which means I no longer have my dedicated writing day, but we'll make it work. Okay, so last time, two weeks ago, we talked about how Jesus came to do a new thing. He was born and raised as a religious insider, was taught by the ministers and religious scholars of his day, and eventually he also taught them. They were his people, and he came as one of them, but also as a final fulfillment of the promise to Abraham that through this tiny tribe, all nations on earth would be blessed. God's blessing on and for these people was intended to ripple out into the whole world. And although the ministers and teachers were very familiar with that story about Abraham and the stars and they could recite the words precisely, when Jesus showed up and started embodying this reality, they got pretty mad. They got kind of possessive. They thought they knew who God did and didn't work through, how God did and didn't work. The God they knew didn't let just anyone pronounce forgiveness of someone's sins, right? The God they knew didn't turn a blind eye when someone seemingly broke one of the sacred rules, right? They had interpreted scripture to mean one thing, and Jesus showed up and said, nope, you've got it wrong. The rules are there to serve the people, not the other way around. We're not going back to slavery, whether that's to Egypt or to a law. A law that's in fact been surrounded with hundreds of specific examples and applications, like a wall around it just to make sure we don't even come close to breaking one of the rules of that law. God has always been about freedom, and the rules were set up to help us treat each other right while we enjoy our freedom. The rules were never meant to enslave us, but that's what you did with them. And Jesus shows up and peels away the layers of misunderstanding. But that's scary for the ministers and the teachers and the elders because how will they protect the law? How will they protect God? How will they make sure everyone follows the rules if the leaders themselves are not even understanding them? Our text for today is Luke chapters 4 and 8. Jesus throws down three rebukes in these sections, and I see a connection between them. So we're going to walk back and forth between these three stories today. In Luke 4, starting in verse 31, we find Jesus still in Galilee, but traveling to a city called Capernaum, where he goes to the synagogue and he teaches on a Sabbath and everyone's impressed, as usual. 
but someone was there who probably shouldn't have been. It's a man with an unclean demon, who, by the way, would have been ritually impure. He definitely wouldn't have been allowed in the temple, and I'm wondering if maybe he shouldn't have really been in the synagogue either. I mean, at a minimum, he would have been the guy that nobody invited to the party and everyone was awkwardly whispering about when he showed up anyway. After all, it's tough to do things like have friends and hold down a job when you're possessed by an evil demon. So this demon-possessed man cries out in verse 34, Let us alone! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. When the demon had thrown him down before them, he came out of him without having done him any harm. They were all amazed and kept saying to one another, What kind of utterance is this? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and out they come. And a report about him began to reach every place in the region. Jesus rebukes the unclean spirit so it can't torment this man any longer. Now that the demon has been rebuked, it's been driven away, this man can build social connections and a career and a life again. The crowds are stunned and confused, but this man's life will never be the same because Jesus set him free. In Luke chapter 4, verses 38 and 39, we read, After leaving the synagogue, he entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked him about her. Then he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. Immediately, she got up and began to serve them. Jesus rebukes the fever, so it can't cause this woman to suffer any longer. Now that the fever has been rebuked, this woman can get back to what's hers to do. The crowds are stunned, and they want some of this healing too. But this woman's life will never be the same because Jesus set her free. In Luke chapter 8, we find a story that's familiar to many of us and shows up in the Gospels of Matthew and Mark as well. It's the one where Jesus and his friends are out in a boat and there's a huge storm. Here's Luke 8, verses 22 through 25. One day Jesus said to his disciples, Let's go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and set out. As they sailed, he fell asleep. A squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and all was calm. Where is your faith? He asked his disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, Who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. I've preached this text from the Gospel according to Matthew. Twice. And each time, I've wondered about how big of a storm it could have been. So if any of you are like me and have wondered, how big of a storm could it even be? I want to share with you what I recently learned. So the Sea of Galilee is 700 feet below sea level, and there's a tall mountain nearby, and that combination creates a lot of crosswinds and strong waves. So, yeah, this was a legit storm. When Jesus says, let's go to the other side, there are some implications there that are easy for our modern ears to miss. So far, they've been traveling around with Jesus to different cities in Galilee, while Jesus is teaching and healing people, and Galilee is home. 
and Jesus now wants to go to the other side of the sea, which is a whole different territory. It's the Decapolis. It's other. It's where those other people live, people who are not like us. Jesus wants to leave the place where they're in the religious and ethnic majority and go to the place where they will be in the religious and ethnic minority. But they can't get from one side to the other easily. It's no coincidence that there's a storm in this in-between. They can't get from majority status to minority status without some waves and thunder and scary stuff. When Jesus rebukes the wind and the waves, it's actually the same word for when he rebukes the demon that's tormenting the man and the fever that's causing the woman to suffer. He rebukes the storm that's paralyzing his friends with fear. He's rebuking the evil in the sea, telling it that it's not allowed to instill fear in us anymore. And when we are going from the safety of the promised land, the place of our inheritance, and heading out into the world, out into the unknown, we have to pass through the storm. There's rough water and strong wind and heavy rains. The disciples are fearful, and they're certain that they are about to die. Most of the storms that we face don't carry the threat of death. But when we are going through these storms, we feel fear, and we are tempted to turn back, back to what is known, what feels comfortable, what we believe to be safe. When we feel fear, we instinctively want the shortest path back to safety. It's not necessarily rational or logical or theological. It's primal. It's our reaction to fear that says, get me to safety. And for too long, Fear has been calling the shots in our churches. When I talk with church leaders who say, our whole leadership is egalitarian and we feel convicted about this, but our people just aren't there yet, so we're not going to rock the boat. I smell fear. When I talk with church leaders who say, our whole leadership is open and affirming and we feel convicted about this, but our people just aren't there and so we're not going to make any waves. I smell fear. When we choose to live with what's comfortable rather than living out of our convictions, we're being led by fear rather than faith. When we choose to maintain the status quo in our churches, even when our convictions say otherwise, whether that's with worship style or who's included or who stands up front and vocalizes into a microphone, when we maintain the status quo so that we don't lose people or lose funding, we're being led by fear rather than faith. How often do we see Jesus being led by fear? How often do we see Jesus about to stand in his conviction, which goes against the status quo, and then sit down and say, nah, never mind, I'll just go with the flow? The answer is never. Jesus knew better than to be led by fear. Jesus never told his followers that this was the easy way, or that everyone would stay the course. In fact, he told stories of people counting the cost of discipleship and deciding that the price was too high. He said the path was narrow and few would walk it. Storms are inevitable. They are unscheduled and unplanned. But you can count on facing storms if you choose to go with Jesus to the other side. The price is high, but it is so worth it. We are constantly being called out of our comfort zones and our complacency and our self-centeredness and our privilege. We're constantly being called to the other side, 
to be near those who are on the margins, to stand together with those who are experiencing rejection and oppression. We're constantly being called to give up the privilege of the majority to side with the minority. And all too often we say, nah, never mind, I'll just go with the flow. All too often our churches say, we don't want to rock the boat. We don't want to make any waves. Even if we personally feel convicted about a change that needs to happen, it might result in people leaving or people withdrawing their financial support. And then where would we be? Nah, we'll keep things the way they are. Jesus has already rebuked the evil in this world and told it that it's not allowed to torment, cause suffering, or instill fear in us. If we feel tormented, are suffering, or fearful, we are believing the lies instead of the truth that Jesus has already set us free. When we forget who is in the boat with us, we can lose perspective. When we think we're the ones ultimately responsible for leading or saving the church, we've lost our perspective. When we elevate the goal of keeping people or not losing funding as the most important consideration in our decisions, we've lost our perspective. When we choose maintaining the status quo, even in light of the compelling movement of God's Spirit calling for a reinterpretation of Scripture, we've lost our perspective and are being led by fear. The disciples on the boat that day, they got a very powerful object lesson on fear and how to respond in faith. And they were never the same after Jesus showed them how to be free. May we hear Jesus' rebuke of all that torments, causes suffering, and instills fear, and know that he makes that rebuke on our behalf today as well. May we believe that Jesus is who he said he is, and sit a while with the discomfort that that creates, knowing that he invites us to go to the other side with him. And may we go to that other side. May we live into our convictions, even though others may question, judge, criticize, or walk away. May we live into our convictions and be led by faith in the God who created all of us in God's image, infinitely loved and valuable. May we choose faith over fear. If today you find yourself on the outside, without a seat at the table or a voice in the conversation, may you lean into the truth that you are always welcome in God's community. And if you are one who bears the name minister, pastor, elder, shepherd, or are otherwise considered a religious or faith leader, may you accept that invitation to go to the other side, to become the minority, to stand with those who have been beaten down, to extend God's yes to those you might have said no to in the past. May you be emboldened and encouraged to honor the space that God has already created for all. If something was stirred in you today, reach out. Hearing from you helps to shape the future of this podcast and this community. You can email me at jenhalechristie at gmail.com or connect on Instagram or Facebook at jenhalechristie. Thank you to all who have already emailed, texted, and connected through social media. Please consider subscribing, rating, and reviewing this podcast. It lets me know that you're part of this community and you find value here, and it really does help others discover it. 
Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.